The Bible reading for today is from Luke 7, verses 18 to 23. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men come to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had disease, illnesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed. The dead hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Thank you so much. It's really wonderful to be here um, and uh, to be here in person again with you uh, and not just on Zoom. Uh, we're so grateful. Uh, for you guys, for your support, for your prayers, for your partnership uh, in the gospel. You are part of what God is doing uh, in Pakistan. As you uh, sit here or in your, uh, do you call them life groups, community groups, wherever they are, uh, in your small groups or at home or whatever, as you pray for what is going on in Pakistan, you are participating in what God is doing as he answers those prayers. So thank you uh, for being part of that. I need to confess to you that there was some slight confusion, uh, which was my fault, um, with uh, uh, Joel. Uh, where is Joel? Oh, hi, Joel. Hiding at the back. Um, uh, Joel and I messaged on WhatsApp some months ago, and uh, he mentioned me uh, possibly speaking on fear and power this morning, and I thought in my head that I had replied to, at some point to say yes, but I obviously hadn't done that, I realized, last night, and uh, so he spoke on that last week. Uh, so we're going to look at it again from another angle, and I hope it'd be helpful, because this whole idea of uh, different ways of seeing the gospel that are affected by the way we see the world the way that the truth of the gospel speaks into our different concerns, uh, I think is really uh, important to see. So, we're going to look a bit more about how Jesus conquers our fears this morning, but I want to start by asking you some questions. And uh, there are no right or wrong answers. Okay, I just want you to be honest. So, you, I want you to imagine that you're lost in an unfamiliar city. Do you... This is a bit slow. There we are. Uh, you want to find your way. Do you open Google Maps or similar, something on your phone or go and look for a big map or something? Do you ask someone for directions or do you pray for guidance? Now, I don't want you to think, oh, I'm in church. I should say I pray for guidance. We, I want you to be honest. If it helps, think about the last time. For me, it was yesterday in the northern quarter. I always get confused in the northern quarter. Which of these did I do? So, which are you likely to do? I want a show of hands. Uh, do you open Google Maps or similar? Do you ask someone for directions? Mm -hmm. uh, do you pray for guidance? 
Thank you. Uh, excellent. No comment. Uh, another question. Um, all right. Now you are a senior manager in a small airline, and it is the first flight of this, your new airplane. Which is most important for you before takeoff? If you have to do one of these things. Do you check the pilot's references to make sure that he really knows how to fly? Do you review the plane safety certificates, or do you sacrifice a goat for good luck? So, which of you would be most inclined to check the pilot's references? A few. Which would be most inclined to review the plane safety certificates? Majority. Who would be most inclined uh, to sacrifice a goat for good luck? No one is willing to admit it. Okay. Uh, all right, last one. You have got a newborn baby. This time you can put your hand up for all of the ones that you would do. Um, every parent wants to protect their newborn child from harm, just about. That is a, a near universal thing, whichever culture we're from. In order to do that, who would want to get parenting advice from relatives? Hands up. Okay, most of us. Who would want to buy a car seat for that first journey home from the hospital? Even more, I think. Who would want to shave your baby's head and put black marks on her face? A few. Okay. Um, that's all right. There, we've been looking in the last few uh, weeks, uh, or, or somewhat, I don't know exactly where you are, but you definitely, at least the last two weeks, uh, at these different ways of viewing the world. And it's not clear-cut. I mean, I've got nice, neat white lines between these, but actually, uh, we, all of us, overlap. Guilt, shame, and fear. All of these are important aspects of our human experience, aren't they? Who, who hasn't experienced guilt? Who hasn't experienced shame? Who hasn't experienced fear? We've experienced them all, I think, most of us. We're all sometimes afraid or anxious, but along with these three, in, in the context of these three, all of us and all of our cultures, because some of us are from the UK here, some of us are from other countries, some of us feel that we've got a sort of mixed identity, all of us and all of our cultures tend to emphasize one or two of these more than the others. How do I know, how do you know which way you lean whether you lean towards thinking of the world in terms of guilt and innocence, whether you lean towards thinking of the world in terms of shame and honor, or whether you lean towards thinking about the world in terms of fear and power, and also, not just about you, but about your friends and your neighbors. Here's a clue. If I tend to think about the world in terms of guilt and innocence, then, and, and Western culture would lean in this way, British culture would lean in this way, then I tend to think that the thing that's going to protect me in life is institutions and rules. Now, I know that in Manchester, we might think, really? Do we trust institutions? We'll come back to that. Shame and honor. I tend to think relationships, my connections, 
my network, my relatives, my friends. That's my main source of protection. And if I live, if I lean more towards thinking of the world in terms of fear and power, which we're going to be looking at a bit more this morning, which we looked at last week, then I'm conscious of the fact that this world is not just material. Now, you can be in any of those categories and be conscious of that. But this world is not just what I can see and touch, but there are spiritual realities in this world, and spiritual powers protect me. So, for example, if we think about the plane, most people put their hands up for, I would check the plane's safety certificates. Why? Because we trust institutions. We trust that the authorities responsible for issuing these certificates have done it in an honest way, have followed the rules, and therefore the plane is going to be worth, worthy of flying. I'm not going to fall, you know, it's not going to fall out of the sky. But you know, some countries, and I think of the one where I live, a lot of people would think, what's the use of the plane certificates? I mean, someone probably just bought them, you know, bribed some corrupt official to sign them, stamp them, hand them over. No one's checked anything. What I need to know is that I can trust this pilot. I'm going to check his references or her references. I'm going to go and find out from the people who have worked with them before and I'll find some connection with them so I can know if I can trust them that this pilot is worth trusting and knows what they're doing about a plane, and then they'll do the checks and they'll make sure that everything is as it should be and the plane won't fall out of the sky. Or if you're from a more fear power culture, which some of our friends are, perhaps some of us are here, in your mind, it's not that technical malfunction and pilot error aren't possible dangers, but they're not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is that there are evil forces at work in this world. If we read the Bible, we have to come to terms with the fact that that is the teaching of the Bible, that there are evil forces at work in this world. None of us can sit here if we want to say, I'm following Jesus and I believe the Bible. I mean, some may be here just thinking about it and exploring, but we have to and we'll see in our passage this morning, we have to come to terms with the fact that there are evil forces at work. And someone who leans most in that direction, cultures that lean most in that direction, will say, the biggest issue is not technical malfunction. The biggest issue is not that the pilot might not be any good. The biggest issue is that someone might have cursed me. And if there's a curse on me, it doesn't matter that all the checks are done. It doesn't matter that the pilot's the best he could be or she could be. That plane can fall out of the sky. I live, uh, as mentioned, um, in Pakistan, uh, and I want to share with you some of the aspects of Pakistani culture because, not just because it's interesting in the sense that you support us, though that's, I hope, interesting and helpful, but in the last census, 2021, the highest number of greater Manchester residents who were born overseas were born in Pakistan about 90,000 in Greater Manchester. And just to put it in perspective, 
Second was India, which is 30,000. So you've got triple that have been born in Pakistan. And third, Poland. And that's not even including those who would, con who would consider themselves British Pakistani who've been born here but have significant Pakistani influences. So one in 30 in the whole of Greater Manchester and probably more in this area were born in Pakistan. So what we're talking about is relevant for your neighbors as well. There it, there it is. Okay. We talked about protecting babies and toddlers. Now, I'm not saying people in Pakistan or from Pakistan wouldn't take advice from their elders and their relatives. They absolutely would. In fact, Pakistan tends to be thought of more as a shame honor culture. But I want to look at fear and power this morning. I'm not saying they wouldn't take advice from their elders. They would. I'm not saying they wouldn't buy a car seat, although that may be less likely. Um, but most babies in Pakistan, look at her eyes. Look at the black that's been drawn around her eyes. And uh, the black mark on her forehead. I, yeah, you can just about see that. And most actually would have their heads shaved as well. Why is that? Because in the culture of at least some of your friends and neighbors uh, who are from Pakistan, the concept of evil spirits and what they call the evil eye. So somebody looks at your child with envy, with jealousy, thinks that's a beautiful child. I'd love to have a child like that. Somebody who is struggling with infertility perhaps and the shame that that brings in their family context looks at your baby with envy. What is the result in that worldview? The result is that some kind of evil will happen. And the belief is that if I make my baby more ugly, putting more black on, then that will distract the evil eye. Um, we had some friends uh, from the UK. They were walking down the street with their... Uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed little baby in Pakistan. And uh, someone came past and said hello. Very friendly. Pakistan's a very friendly culture. It's much friendlier than the reputation it has uh, on the news. And a very hospitable culture. And someone was saying hello and how are you and chatting. And then looked at the baby. And he spat on the baby's face. Now, a number of us would think, what are you doing? Like, offended, upset. He was acting out of love. He was like, oh my goodness, your baby is so beautiful, you need protection. And if I spit on her, that will make her a little bit less vulnerable to the evil eye. Pa um, Pakistan, I don't know about India because I can't go because they would um, revoke my visa in Pakistan if I went to India because they're not very good friends. Um, over there, but uh, in Pakistan, you see these beautiful, colorful trucks everywhere. Really beautiful and uh, glorious color, but you might note, I don't know if this little red, yeah, there it is. Um, you see these black cloths hanging. There's black cloths on every corner. You see that on loads of cars, particularly new, shiny cars, and people who are on the road a lot, like trucks in Pakistan. They're there to make it more ugly, to distract from the presence 
of the evil eye. Some of you might have thought I was joking or making fun when I mentioned the flight thing, but I didn't, and I've tried to crop this to minimize the blood that's in the picture, and for those of you that it makes queasy, but um, a few years ago, there was, uh, this is PIA, Pakistan International Airlines, um, and there was a flight going into the mountains, and it's a very challenging uh, route to fly because the fog can come down very suddenly, and once you get past a certain point, the mountains are so close together that you, it is literally impossible to turn around. So you have to keep going even if you can't see anything. And so you can imagine that it has a higher rate of crashes there than before. And uh, there was this air, uh, airplane, an ATR, I don't know what that means, but some of you might like planes. Um, an ATR plane, and it crashed into the mountains. And so all of the ATR planes were grounded. And then a few weeks later, after they'd all been inspected and everything, so it's not that they didn't do the inspections, it's not they didn't do the certificates, but they were all inspected, then it was time for the first flight of the next one. And what happened before the first flight? The ground staff took a black goat and sacrificed it because they wanted God's protection over evil spirits on the flight. It's not something for us just to laugh off or to think is primitive. It's really a significant part of our friends' worldviews. And I, I need to say, that met a whole range of responses in Pakistan. A lot of Pakistani Twitter mocked it, said this is ridiculous. But a lot of people said, yes, this is very wise because there are realities of evil spirits in Pakistan. One more thing I want to show you, and we'll go to um, the Bible. This is, uh, this is eBay, British eBay. Um, you can see that you can get for $13.99, and it's trending. I don't, maybe eBay always says that about the item you're looking at. I don't know. But this one's trending. 27 has already sold. These are little leather pouches that you can wear around your neck. These sell well here in the UK as well. What are they for? You probably can't read all that unless you've got excellent uh, eyes. But um, uh, an Islamic scholar had wrote, written, Alamaz al-Kashi wrote, that someone complained about his conjunctivitis in the court of Imam Shafi. So he wrote the following on a piece of paper and sent him the amulet. And this following uh, what is the first surah of the Quran, so the first verse of the Quran. Uh, it's a Taviz leather-ish pouch with cord. It's stitched from three sides. One side is left open to insert the paper Taviz remedy in. And a lot of people wear these for protection. You write a bit of the Quran, or you don't do it yourself. Somebody uh, sufficiently qualified to do that, an imam or a holy person, writes a bit of the Quran, and you put it on there. This is one of the uh, players on Pakistan cricket team. And you can see that he's wearing at least two uh, of these for good luck and for protection. This was a few years ago in Nottingham in uh, that wonderful publication, the Daily Mail. Uh, Muslim father removes six-year-old daughter from school in protest at teacher confiscating special Islamic necklace she was playing with. And what was the result at the bottom? Uh, 
bullet point, Nottingham Academy has changed the rules and will allow her to wear it. So I'm just trying to say, all we're trying to see from this is this is not something that's just out there. This is part of the worldview of our friends and neighbors here in Pakistan. Most of us have experienced all of these things, guilt and shame and fear. Most of us have suffered from guilt. That sense of either I did something that I shouldn't have done or what if I did something that I shouldn't have done? What if I went in the bus lane when I shouldn't have done and there was one of those cameras to catch me? What if... If you're, a, if you're a health professional, what if I didn't do something, you know, if I, if I bent the rules slightly to accommodate someone, to help someone, to show love to someone, what if that comes back to bite me? Guilt. Most of us suffer from shame at times. Guilt is about what I have done. Shame is much more about who I am. I'm a failure, or I don't belong here, I'm an imposter. Most of us also fear things we can't control. When we look at fear and power, I don't want you just to think about, oh, that's that culture that's quite alien from me. Most of us fear sickness, the possibility of sickness. Most of us fear dying, especially if it's painful, the process of dying, even if we don't fear death itself. Most of us fear war. Think about how suddenly life has changed in Ukraine, or a few years ago, how suddenly life changed in Syria. And you think about, I mean, it just seems so far off, but you think about, well, what if it happened here? That's a scary thought. Most of us fear losing somebody close to us. And some of us will fear evil spirits because they do exist. And all of these things make us vulnerable in life, don't they? Guilt makes us vulnerable. Got a friend at the moment who is a social worker. She's an excellent social worker in this country and has helped so many people over the years. She works in a very difficult context and has to make snap decisions that can be very challenging. And she is in a situation where somebody has reported her to Social Work England, and she's having to go through this whole investigation to see whether something that she did three years ago was the right thing or not exactly, according to the rules. All of us are vulnerable when it comes to guilt and shame and fear. And so we look for a hero. Go on. If we tend more to, th when we're thinking about guilt, or if we tend more towards a guilt-innocence culture, we're looking for a hero who is righteous before the law, one who's kept the rules. We don't like rule breakers. 
party gate. Don't like it. Because we kept the rules, and they didn't. So we want to be rid of them, and we want leaders who are righteous in front of the rules. If we are more inclined towards thinking about shame and honor, well, actually all of this is true because we all suffer from shame. And so what are we looking for? We're looking for a hero who is honorable in the eyes of all. And the challenge is actually for us in our culture today, what is honorable keeps changing. What was honorable 20, 30 years ago isn't necessarily the same as what's viewed as honorable by the society now. Think about the whole thing with Philip Schofield, those of you who follow that. Uh, if you don't know who Philip Schofield is, don't worry. Uh, but a few weeks ago, a few, you know, he, when he came out as gay, he was praised and honored, which is interesting. In that context, Perhaps 30, 40 years ago, the focus would have been on the fact that he'd left his wife and kids. But he was praised and honored. But then a little while later, suddenly he's seen as shameful and dishonorable because of a gay relationship that he had and a possible abuse of power. We're looking for heroes who are honorable in the eyes of all. And we're looking for heroes who are powerful over evil. Think about the way the whole Western world has rallied around President Zelensky in Ukraine. In the face of an enemy, in the face of an invasion, we're looking for a hero who can be powerful and who can lead us forward. Let's look at Jesus. If you've got your Bible, please open it again uh, to page 1035. You got Jesus and John the Baptist. John's disciples told John about all these things. That's how our passage starts. So, for those of you who are relatively new to the Bible, Jesus Christ, the central character, he has a cousin called John, known as John the Baptist. And John was a preacher and a prophet. And he had been expecting the Messiah, the rescuer, the one that the whole Old Testament has promised. And he knew that that was going to be Jesus. But now he's in prison, and he wasn't expecting to be in prison. All of this Messiah thing isn't going to plan. He was waiting for this, this hero who would be righteous before the law, who would be honorable in the eyes of all, who would be powerful over evil. So why is it not happening? That's what John's thinking. We're living in the days of the Roman Empire, and the Roman soldiers are here, and they've, they've, they're occupying God's land. They're ruling over God's people, and the Messiah is meant to come and set us free, right? It's not happening. And John's disciples had been seeing a number of things that were going on. John's disciples told him about all these things. What are these things? Well, what's Jesus just been doing? From the beginning of chapter 7, there's been an incredible healing of a senior soldier's servant. So there's a senior Roman soldier. And he's got a servant who's sick. 
and he calls for Jesus and he doesn't even let Jesus come to his house. Very often when Jesus would heal someone, he would see them, he would touch them. But he says to Jesus, I know that you've got so much authority. I know that you've got so much power that you can just say the word from far away and he'll be healed. And Jesus says, wow, I haven't seen faith like this. And he says the word from far away and the man's healed. Incredible power and authority over sickness. And what does he do? The very next thing that Luke reports, well, he comes into a town called Nain. This is in verses 11 to 17. Comes into a town called Nain and there is a funeral going on. And it's a widow's son. The only son of his mother. So in that context, just think you haven't got benefits, you haven't got any kind of welfare system. How do you provide for yourself in your old age? Well, when you're younger, you get married and you have sons because the daughters will marry into other families. This is still the case in many cultures of the world. It's still the case in Pakistan on the whole. The daughters will marry into other families, but your sons will work, get jobs, and they'll provide income, and that will help to look after you, and so you won't be destitute and hungry and homeless. Here's a widow. Her husband's died. There's one breadwinner gone. She's got one son. He's dead. She's got no hope. And Jesus comes into this funeral and he sees the situation and he has compassion on this woman and he touches the equivalent of a coffin and the boy comes to life again. The son comes to life again. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being at a funeral? Can you imagine someone coming along and giving life to the person who's dead? When have you ever seen that happen? I have never seen that happen. It's incredible, the power that Jesus has. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord, to Jesus, to ask, are you the one who's to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men, disciples of John, came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who's to come, or should we expect someone else? What's Jesus' response? Jesus' response is to show his power. At that very time, verse 21, Jesus cured many who had diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. It's good to see that Jesus has power. You and I, wherever we are from, we are powerless against so many diseases, even with modern medicine. A relative of mine has been diagnosed with some forms of cancer recently, and it's striking how many times I open a page to find out about the different types of this condition. And they basically just say, we can manage it a bit, but we can't cure it. So many diseases we're powerless against. Blindness, 
What can we do about that? Very little. And the presence and the reality of evil in the world. It'd be great to click your fingers and be rid of evil, wouldn't it? Be rid of selfishness. Be rid of those ruling powers in different places that abuse, whether it's in our own culture or whether it's elsewhere. But we're powerless against those things. But at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and, almost as an aside, gave sight to many who were blind. And he says, go and tell John. Right here, right now, this is the message that John the Baptist needs, and it might be the message that you need this morning. The message that John the Baptist needs is not that Jesus is righteous, though he is. It's not that Jesus will be seen as the one with all honor and glory, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, though that is true. The message John needs right now is that just as the prophets promised, because he's, when he says, actually, I'll, I'll read you verse 22, he replied, Jesus replied to the messengers, having done that healing, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. What have you seen and heard? The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And that's like a remix of different passages in Isaiah that Jesus is also referring to there. So, so the message that John needs at this point is that just as the prophets promised, Jesus has power over everything that we fear. The physical, the spiritual, and even death itself. And most of those that I know in Pakistan who have come to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God started on that journey because they saw the power of God. They saw prayer answered when somebody prayed for them in the name of Jesus. Or they had a dream Very few have started on that journey that I know of, at least. And this is probably true, I think, of the majority of Muslims who've come to know Jesus in this country. Most started because in some way they've seen the power of God and that it's real. If somebody says to me, if a Muslim friend says to me, your scriptures are changed... The Bible is changed. It's corrupted. That's one of the big objections that Muslims have against the Christian faith. They claim that the Bible, since the time of Jesus, has been changed, and the Quran is the correct revelation of God. Now, when I used to work mainly among students in Manchester, what was my kind of main bread and butter of my answers to that? Well, it was institutions and evidence Look to the institutions and the evidence. Hey, let me take you down to the John Rylands Library on Deansgate. And you can see there this fragment, the oldest bit of New Testament manuscript in the world. And this is part, and then we can start to look at the, the huge 
and reliable, extensive manuscript evidence that we have over centuries from the time that was written, the Bible was written, until now, so that we can be confident that the Bible hasn't changed. And that's all true. And it's really good. And I found that hugely helpful and encouraging. When I explain that in Pakistan, I'm wasting my breath. Because people don't trust institutions. I need to talk about power. Is God not able to preserve his word? Is Allah not able to keep his word? He is, and he has. It's much more powerful for my Muslim friends to go away and think about that. Is God all-powerful? Well, then he can keep his word from being corrupted. Many of our friends are not interested so much in arguments, but they want to know, is your God real? Is he powerful? Does it work? And that's something very much in just kind of standard British culture that is asked a lot. Does it work? Is it real? Is it authentic? And in the scriptures and in our lives, we see, yes, Jesus Christ has power. He doesn't always use it as we expected. John John is almost stumbling, John the Baptist. He's almost tripping up. Jesus says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. He knows that his cousin John is is kind of tripping up over, is Jesus really who he is? Because he was expecting Jesus to use his power in a certain way for military victory. And we can stumble, we can trip up as well. Especially over prayer that seems to be unanswered. That God has answered in a way that we don't think he should have done. Or over the fact that he is not using his power to put an end now to all suffering in the world. And we're finished with this. What do we need to see? We always need to look at the cross, don't we? As believers. How, does, how do we see the cross in the context of power? And fear. Well, God, Jesus Christ is God, God the Son. It's one of the claims that he's clearly making when he says to John, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, and so on. One of the passages that he is quoting is from Isaiah, I think off the top of my head, 29, should have written it down, where Isaiah refers to these things and says, the Lord himself, God himself will come to you. Jesus is saying, God himself has come to you. Well, what did God himself look like at the cross? He seemed to be totally powerless, totally powerless. He's crucified, he's dying, he's been conquered. What's he doing? And yet, now we know with the benefit of hindsight, what was he doing? He was destroying the power of death and the devil for you and me. He rose to life, never to die again. Death and evil are decisively on the losing side now and forever. Only he has power. Do you ever fear death? Do you ever fear sickness? Do you ever fear the triumph of evil? It's natural to fear them because we're powerless to do anything about them. What's the answer? Cling to Jesus. 
He is the powerful hero, powerful over evil. He can be trusted. He's powerful and he is good. He brings sight to the blind. He brings movement to the paralyzed. He brings cleansing to the unclean and shame-filled. He brings hearing to the deaf, new life to the dead. Good news to the poor in Manchester and in every nation and tribe and people and language. Yes, sometimes he does things in a way we don't expect. Don't let it trip you up. Come to him. Bring your fears. Enter his protection and find blessing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we honor you for you are the one true and living God with the Father and the Spirit. We worship and glorify you because you have power over all these things that we can't control. And you speak to all of our fears and all of the fears of our friends and neighbors. Lord, help us to listen, help us to understand both who you are for us, that we may trust you more, and also to our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues, with the fears that they're carrying, that we may introduce them to you. The one who has power, the one who brings freedom and peace and favor. We praise you and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.